0: border of Ukraine, and it's been an interesting six or seven months, as you may imagine. This this song I I wrote uh, at the end of December, I was thinking about the new year, and I think it was sort of prophetic, uh, the way the year has unfolded relative to this song. Lord, I lay this year before you with this prayer And I only ask that you would guide me there Guide my footsteps, put your words upon my tongue Father, let me leave no song of praise unsung Father, you are so Wonderful to me. I see your hand in all of the world surrounding me, and I know whatever the year might hold, you'll be. See so far, but farther you can. here before you like a crown I'm not the ruler of my life I lay it down and I trust you with the answer to this prayer whatever you want is what I want so lead me there Father you are so Wonderful to me, I see your hand in all of the world surrounding me, and I know whatever the year might hold. as far as I can see. I can see so far, but farther you can.
1: Praise untainted, praise unfaithful.
2: I'll be
3: We sing of God's holiness. We are referring to the absolute moral purity of God, and by extension, the absolute moral distance between that high and holy God and us, we his sinful human creatures. God is holy because he is set apart from sin. Throughout the Bible, God calls out his people to be set apart from their situations, from the people and the mindsets and the practices that surround them. Beginning with Abraham, the father of the faithful. We read all the way back in Genesis. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. Well, that great nation that came from Abraham, the people of Israel was also called out to be set apart. In Deuteronomy we read, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And then in Leviticus we read, You shall be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. With that truth of being called out, to be a set-apart people extended into the New Testament, as the apostles, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, addressed the followers of Jesus. Paul wrote, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Almighty, And Peter wrote, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. John was given a glimpse into the future. And even then, God calls out his people. He wrote, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. And that's the reason God calls us out to be a set-apart people, because sin removes us from being under the umbrella of God's protection and blessing. Isaiah the prophet wrote, Your iniquities have made the separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. But that sin, that, that, that separation that sin causes, that's not permanent. Our sins don't sever our relationship with God, but they do disrupt the closeness of the fellowship. But God has made a way for that closeness to be restored. And that is through the act of confession. We're gonna do that two ways. We'll do that privately and individually as each of us in the privacy of our own heart speaks to God, confesses our sins, ask for forgiveness. Then we'll do that as a corporate body, and at that time, there will be a prayer on the screen, and if that prayer is a true prayer of your heart, I'll invite you to pray that with me at that time. But let's first go before God, each of us as individuals, into the privacy of our own heart. And if these words on the screen are a true and sincere prayer of your heart, then would you pray this with me? Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy law. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is nothing good in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore those who are penitent according to your promises declared unto men in Christ Jesus our Lord grant that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of his name. Amen. And if you prayed with sincerity, then know based upon the authority of God's word that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounded in loving kindness. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. When there is nothing hindering our fellowship with God, we can join with fellow Christians here on earth and with saints and angels in heaven to offer a pure sacrifice. forgiveness of sins, a relationship with God, a life of unbroken praise. All this and more is possible only because of what
1: Jesus did on the cross. Let's stand. Let's sing about that. Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road sit for me
3: thank you father that you sent your son that you gave your only begotten son Jesus we thank you that you came willingly you gave up all the trappings of heaven to take on full humanity full deity thank you for giving yourself Thank you that your prayer was not my will, but yours. Lord, help us as a church to also have that same mind. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, where we will also say to you, Lord, not our wills, but your will be done. Father, thank you for the generosity of so many in this church. You make possible so much ministry and mission. Lord, we ask your blessing on those who give. We ask your blessing on those who wish to give but just simply cannot. Lord, take the offerings that are given. Use them in a way that brings the greatest glory to you and the greatest good to ourselves. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Let's pray together this prayer for illumination through this song, that our eyes will be open, our ears will hear what God has for us.
1: Oh, breath of God. have a seat welcome to the pulpit
3: this morning pastor ron moore Uh, those of you who've been around for some time will remember ron was our pastor for 27 years and then uh recently well so it's been several years retired um and pastor walter is away on vacation this week so he's asked pastor ron to come and bring us our word so welcome back to the pulpit ron moore
4: What David was so kind and did not say was that when I retired, everybody said, Amen. (laughs) We live in a world where bad things happen to people. I know the book said they just happen to good people, but that's not true. They happen to everyone. My wife and I, a couple of months ago, we were watching television. We tried to find the movie to watch that we'd be willing to watch. And we scanned through a whole long list of movies that didn't meet our approval. And finally, just kind of out of desperation, ended up with the movie that, um, it really wasn't what we wanted to watch, but there wasn't anything else we could find. The uh, lead character was a man and he had kind of an acerbic type, acidic type personality. And uh, just not someone that you could identify with very easily. And uh, as the movie began to unfold, I leaned over and said to my wife, I bet this is a Christian movie. Because I said, later on over in the movie, uh, he's going to meet Jesus Christ, his life's going to be changed, he's going to become a different person. I was wrong. <laughs> Later, over in the movie, he was visiting a lady in the hospital. She had a 14 year old son who was the patient. And according to the script in the movie, the boy had leukemia. The doctors had done everything they could, and nothing they had done had worked. And now they had come to the mother. And they had told her that she needed to prepare for her son's death. That it would be imminent. And she was relaying this information to the man who was the lead actor. Uh, He had already said that he was an atheist. He did not believe in God, that there was a God. He walks out of the hospital, it's night. He looks up at the starry sky. And he says... God, if there is a God, you must be a monster. And then he said to let a 14 year old boy die like this. What kind of God are you? You must be a monster. Now as the story in the movie unfolded, A few scenes later, he's visiting with that mother again, but now the story is completely different. Uh, The child has gone into remission. The doctors can find no trace of cancer in his bloodstream. And she is, in fact, packing his suitcase for him to go home. And I think to myself as I'm sitting there watching, well, now he's going to walk outside, look up at the sky, and say, Thank you, Jesus. Or he's going to say, well, maybe I was wrong. <laughs> None of that happened. He thanked the doctors and the medicine for making the boy well. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. <laughs> you blame God for when things were going bad, but when things got started going good, God didn't get any credit at all. Actually, I realized that Idea is pervasive in our society. It is the normal operating system in the mindset, at least of the American people. I find that even many people who are Christians subscribe to that idea. As a pastor, I've had people come to me and say, Why did God let this happen to me? I've had People come to me and say, You know, I've been teaching Sunday school for 20 years. Why why did God let this happen to me? I've had people come to me as a pastor and say, Pastor, what, what have I done that God is doing this to me? I'd like to address that issue from what I believe is a biblical position, okay? I'm going to read from chapter uh, Romans chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 18 and read to the end of the chapter, but as I read these verses, I'm only going to use three verses out of them for my, for my sermon text, and even in those three verses, I'm going to use three phrases that show up there. Okay, so uh, Romans chapter 1 beginning in verse 18. And if you don't mind, I would like to ask you to stand with me as I read the word, okay? The Apostle Paul, of course, is writing this. He's writing to the church in Rome. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek." For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous should live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurities, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who's blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men slanderers haters of god insolent haughty boastful inventors of evil disobedient to parents foolish faithless heartless ruthless though they know god's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them thank you and you may be seated If you look at verses 24, 26, and 28, you notice that the same phrase shows up in all three verses. And the phrase is, and God gave them up. Paul is giving us an insight into God's judgment on our sin, not after we die, but how God judges our sin while we still are alive in this world. And this is the way it works. We see our sin, and we want to rush, we love it, and we want to rush to it. But God reaches out with his restraining hands, puts them around us, and holds us back and says, you don't want to go there, you don't want to do that, you don't want to live that kind of life. That is the way of death, not the way to life. But we see our sin, we love it, and we press against God, and we say, turn us loose and let us go. And God's judgment on us while we are alive in this world is that God does exactly that. He takes his hand off of us. We rush to our sin. And God says, if that's the kind of person that you want to be, I'll let you be that kind of person. He says to us, if that's the kind of world in which you want to live, I'll let you make for yourself that kind of world. And the world we live in is the result of that. It was never God's will that we should live in this kind of world. When God made us, God put us in the Garden of Eden, paradise. The man and the woman got along great with one another, no conflict, no misunderstandings, no hurt feelings. They got along great with nature. Nature got along great with them. They had a symbiotic relationship with the world in which they lived. They got along great with God. They walked with God in the cool of the day. Here you had perfect harmony in all of its manifestations. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Enlarge the garden of Eden. It's just a small place. Enlarge it. And when your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and your great-great-grandchildren, as they continue to enlarge the Garden of Eden, eventually it would encompass the entire earth and the whole world would be the Garden of Eden. But you know the story. We saw our sin. We loved our sin. And we made for ourselves a world different than the world God wanted us to live in. So the world you and I live in today is the world of our own choosing. If you look around and you say, well, gosh, there's so much bad about this world. There's so much evil. There's so much hurt. There's so much pain, so much suffering. That's not God's fault. We made that world. We chose that world for ourselves. That was never God's will for us. But even then, God didn't just abandon us. God sent us prophets, priests, kings. But we didn't respond to them. God sent us his own Son. and we killed him. If you wanna change the world, there's three things you need to do. I'm a preacher, you gotta have three points. (laughs) But actually, they're good points. The first thing is, the first thing is, you've got to accept responsibility for the way the world is. You see, what I find is, we don't accept responsibility. What we do is, we look around the world and we say, This world has so many problems. And then we say, if those bad people would just change, the world would be a better place. They're not going to change. You see that when you say that, it means that you don't really understand sin. You see it's not the bad things we do that make us a sinner. We do bad things because we are a sinner. Okay, we take God who sits on his throne, we take him off that throne, we put him down here. And then we climb up on that throne for ourselves. And instead of us serving God, we expect God to serve us. we look at the people in the world and we say to them, I'm on the throne, the universe revolves around me and your job is to pay homage to me. When you take eight billion people, all of whom want to sit on the throne, you end up with our world. So the first thing to do is to look in the mirror and to say to ourselves, you know, they're not the problem, I'm the problem. And to get down on my knees and do what the prodigal son did when he came back from the far country back to his father, all the way back, he'd been practicing his little speech. His father ran out to him, threw his arms around him, began to kiss on him, saying, bring the ring, bring bring the sandals, bring the garments. But son was standing there like a statue. He's saying, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And that's what you and I need to do to get down on our knees and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. When we accept responsibility, The fact that we are not who God made us to be, not living the life God wanted us to live, that we have helped to make the world what the world is today. When we accept that responsibility, that's step number one. We're not pointing fingers at other people, we're dealing with ourselves while you're on your knees, you'd accept number two and that's to accept Jesus Christ as your savior. Why do you need to do that? Because the only way you can change a human being is to change them on the inside, make them a different person. You see, in our society, we're trying to educate people up. I, I love education. I'm an avid reader. But I'm a secret. I know a whole lot more things than I do. You can't educate people up out of their sin. You can't, you can't give them prosperity and raise them up above their sin. They're still who they are. The only way you can change people is by changing their heart and their mind and their soul and make them a brand new person. And that's what Jesus Christ does. He puts His spirit in us. He changes the way we think. He changes the way we feel. He changes the way we look at the world, interact with the world. He changes who we are on the inside. That's what Jesus Christ does, okay? That's why it's so important to become a Christian because you can't do it with willpower. You can only do it in the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, okay? How how do you become a Christian? You just receive it as a gift. Paul wrote, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. On your knees confessing that I... I'm a sinner, and I am not. Un, I'm not worthy. Except Christ, and when you do that, He puts His Spirit in you. That's why it's called a new birth, being born again. That's why you're described as a new creature in Christ, a new creation. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay. Number three is we accept Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, I've been a Christian since I was nine years old. And I'm going to tell you the truth about myself. And I believe I'm not that much different than you. I don't mind being a Christian. I just don't want to be too Christian. Okay? I I want to be a good person. I want to be a good church member. I want to go to heaven when I die. But I don't want to be a fanatic. Has anybody here read the New Testament lately? Have you noticed that it's radical? And Jesus said, if someone slaps you on the cheek, what are you supposed to do? Hit him back, right? (laughs) Not according to Jesus. That's according to the world, yes. Hit him back. and Hit him back harder than he hit you. But not according to Jesus. What do you do? You turn the other cheek. Let me tell you, that's radical. Do you know anybody that does that? Forgive your enemies. Forgive them. Just, just drop it. Don't try to get even. Don't try to get revenge. Don't try to blacken their name. Don't use a string of profanities to describe them. Just drop it. Well, that's what Jesus said do. How many of us do it? You see, the reality of it is, For most of us, I'm I'm including myself in that group. For most of us, I wanna be a Christian, but not too Christian. But in reality, you're not a Christian unless you actually make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. Because you see, you're you're sitting on the throne and you have to get off the throne and put God back on the throne and then get down at God's feet and bow down and give your life to him so that he's not your servant, you're his servant. It only works one way and that's when Jesus Christ is Lord. You can't change the world by being like the world. The only way you can change the world is by being different from the world in which we live. Jesus said, you're salt, you're light. You know what salt does? You put a little bit in and it changes the whole pot. Christians are supposed to have an influence in society greater than their numbers. The problem with America is not politicians, it's Christians. It's the churches of America I wish Joe would call me. I have the answers. All the problems. The reality of it is, the problem with America is the churches of America, instead of being different than their culture, are like their culture. We're not salt. You can't change the world by being like the world. You can only change the world if you're different from it and different in a good way. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You know what that means? It means when you walk in a room, People should look at you and say, there is a Christian. Light enables you to see. In a spiritually dark world, each of us is to be a little candle in a dark place. We live in a world where there's a lot of suffering. That's not God's fault. It was never his will. It should be that way. But God has taken his restraining hands off of us and said, if you want to be that kind of person, I'll let you be that kind of person. If you want to have that kind of world, I'll let you have the kind of world that you want to have, but that was never my will for you. If you want to change the world, the way you change it is by changing yourself. You get down on your knees and says, I have sinned against heaven and against you. You give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, And he comes inside of you. He changes you on the inside. And then you make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. And you start doing those hard things in the gospel that none of us really want to do. Next thing you know, the world in which you live, maybe not the whole world, but the world in which you live, will change because when you change you're going to have an influence on your surroundings and you'll help make the world a better place because you're a Christian. Our hymn of invitation this morning if there's anyone who wants to make a rededication of their life if they want to Uh, recommit their life to Christ if they want to make a profession of faith in Christ if you just simply want to join a a group of believers who are trying their best to serve Christ as best they can this is a good church I invite you to stand as we sing this will be our invitation hymn
1: side. Say Church, as
3: we depart, be blessed by the sure and certain knowledge that Jesus will return even as we wait for our blessed hope, in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Go out now as children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world and all God's people who pledged to do so said, amen.